Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where we share stories and tips to help you run a better farming business and create your very own freedom farm. If you're looking to work smarter and not harder in your farm business, welcome, you're in the right place. G'day guys, I hope this finds you incredibly well. With Are You OK Day last week, I wanted to have a conversation with you about resilience. And over the next few sessions, I'm going to interview some incredible women of agriculture and I want to explore this topic in a little bit of detail. And so I see people out there labelling themselves with issues that um, might not serve them. And so I just want to check in on that and I absolutely get it that that absolutely in our reality there's conditions like bipolar, um, which is a chemical and even genetic condition linked to depression. And I absolutely feel for people who wrestle with that every day. Um, but then there's things like, like anxiety and low self-esteem and self-doubt. And there's a form of de- depression, the other one that I'm aware of, called situational depression. Um, that I reckon most of us will experience at some point in our lives. And so, you know, my journey with this is something that I'm keen to share in this session. I hope it supports even just one of you. But, um, you know, I think about life as a roller coaster ride. There's absolutely ups and downs, and some of us are going through real adversity at the moment, and I'm thinking of you in this podcast. But with the ups and downs comes how we feel about ourselves, what we say about ourselves and how hard we are with ourselves. I know as a bloke in those years in my history where I wasn't providing to the level that I wanted, that that really challenged my sense of self and my self-esteem. And in those moments, when the roller coaster was at its bottom, I had low self-esteem and there was anxiety and self-doubt and even depression. But I guess what I want to encourage us not to do is to label ourselves as someone with anxiety or someone with depression if it is situational and if it is just a moment in time. Because I think on our journey in life, everyone has times in their life where in the face of adversity or when we're not delivering at the level that we think we should or where our life isn't where we expected it to be, those moments. And I just want to encourage you all that they are simply just moments and I reflect back on those few times when I've been at my rock bottom and burned out um, as some of the best gifts that have ever happened to me because they required me to get help and they required me to do deeper work and there's real joy in doing the deeper work and so 
I'm not going to profess to be an expert on this topic of resilience, and I'm not going to profess to be an expert at all. So um, all I want to do is share my story with this and what I've learned over my journey and, um, yeah, frame up some conversations with experts on this topic that I'm looking forward to sharing with you over the next few months. And so the way that I think about resilience is two things. It's one, how quickly we can bounce back. And so if faced with a situation, and it might just be a difficult conversation, how we deal with that and then how quickly we bounce back is one form of what resilience is. If we have enduring hardship, and that's common in our industry, and I think as farmers we're more resilient than perhaps many and we're more resilient than sometimes we give ourselves credit for. But if we've had extended drought or we've had significant floods like so many this year, um, if we have a challenge in our lives, I think resilience is the mindset with which we navigate that adversity and how we position ourselves for a strong recovery. I've heard it said, and I've spoken to this before, that in life there's post-traumatic stress and we've that's the one that we've heard quite a bit about, that we can have a hardship and then our um, psychology can um, compound to the negative, if you like, and we go into post-traumatic stress, but there is also post-traumatic growth. And in nature, that plays out like a tree after it's been burned. You get post-traumatic growth where it throws up shoots from everywhere and just recovers in a way not normal. Um, and so when faced with adversity, we've also got the option to do the deeper work and go after post-traumatic growth. The other form of resilience, and I can't wait to speak to a psychologist that we heard speak at our recent alumni conference. She talked about and shared the neuroscience of how the mind works under stress in burnout and when under pressure. And if we're not consciously aware of our responses, we can go into fight or flight mode when faced with stress or adversity. That's the amygdala firing in our mind and it's our psychology and our neuroscience just trying to keep us safe. And some people live in fight or flight most of the time because they're under so much pressure and feeling so much stress. But once you learn the neuroscience of how the mind works under stress and then how to regulate that and how to self-manage and how to then quieten the amygdala and engage the two parts of the brain that can help you stay calm, stay composed, critically think and move forward, there's resilience in that so that when we're faced with adversity, we can consciously make steps to have our minds work in our favour 
And I just think there's real, I think it's so interesting. I'm fascinated by the neuroscience of leadership and the neuroscience that's behind psychology. And so I'm looking forward to interviewing Maria Roberto in a future podcast. And so on this topic of resilience, I want to share a metaphor with you. When I meet someone or when you meet me or you know, we do meet someone for the first time. What we see of them is just the tip of the iceberg. And so we see their behaviour. We see their decisions or, or we see their reality as a function of their decisions and their actions. And we might get a sense of the results that they're getting. That's the stuff that we see above the surface. But what we don't see is the 90 plus percent of the iceberg that's under the surface. And if we want to build our resilience, I love this concept that we've got to build out what's under the surface. And so at the shallowest level, what's under the surface are our skills. And so at Farm Owners Academy, we talk about how so many farmers are really strongly technically trained. But there's so many skills as CEOs and leaders to significant farming businesses that we haven't learned. And so in the intro, I'm going to share an image that talks about some of the skills that we've got to go to work on in order to build out our resilience as a leader and as a CEO and as a, a farm business owner. And so we talk about big picture skill set and tiny detail skill, skill set. If you think about that top and bottom and then left and right, we've got left brain and right brain skills. And so big picture right brain skills are all about vision, strategy, inspiring others and innovation. Big picture left brain is all about the quality of our planning skill set, how well we are at implementing and executing, systemization and delegation. And then more tiny detail right brain activities are about staff management, marketing, negotiation, influence, communication skills. And then bottom left is all about risk management, project management, problem solving, financial acumen and financial literacy. And so the four quadrants of the skills that we need, if you like, are around leadership, are around imagination, are around relationships and communication and around analysis. So they're the skills we need to be build out if we want to be more resilient as a business owner. But then there's skills as I touched on before, about mindset and mindfulness and how to manage our state when under pressure around the neuroscience of how our mind works and how to take that knowledge and make sure that when faced with adversity that we respond strongly. And so we've got to consciously and constantly be working on our skills if we want to build out what's under the surface. The next level down of the iceberg 
are our values. And when I ask an audience of farmers who's got documented, written, personal core values, typically less than 10% put up their hand. And I've heard it said that he with the strongest sense of core values wins in an influence, in a negotiation, in business, in leadership. And so it was a wonderful exercise that I was asked to do when I was learning how to be a business coach was to sit down and write down what were the core values that I wanted to stand for or live my life by. Most of that, most of us know that implicitly. Some might not, but very few have written them down, put them on a wall in their office and made them the pillars by which they live life. And so if you could only have five words on your tombstone when your day is done and those words have to be in perfect order, most important first, then second, third, fourth, and fifth, what would your core values be? And so our core values are what we stand for. And when you're strong on that, it helps, again, build out that sense of resilience and build out the iceberg that's under the surface. Now, there's a spin on values that I want to share with you that right beside core values are our priorities. And I'd like to encourage people to have a list of priorities as well. And so for me, respect, integrity, honour, excellence, passion, resilience, honesty, they're really compelling core, value, uh, core values. But if often I see people put family as a core value. Now, it can be, but I actually think it's better placed in a second list, which are our priorities. And I think this is really important, especially referencing back to Are You OK Day? And so... On a second list, it can be really compelling to write down a list of priorities. What are your priorities in life? And so for me, it's Jane and then the kids and then fitness, then my career and work and my FOA community. Then it's about the performance of our farm. Then family, as in extended family, community contribution, charity. And so it can be also really compelling to write those down in order. So what is your highest priority? Then second, then third, then fourth, then fifth. It's really important when we write down priorities and most people don't do this first time, is to put self first. So after you've written five priorities, add a sixth one and make it first, which is self. 
And here's the thing. We feel strong in any given day and powerful in any given day when we're living life true to our values. And that's according to Brian Tracy, who's a personal development and mindset coach from America from the yesteryear. So we feel good about ourselves to the degree to which we're living life true to our core values. We feel in control of our reality to the exact degree we're living life true to our priorities. And so when you look at that list of core values and you reflect on some conversations with family or team or suppliers or whatever, are you living life true to those core values? It's a really constructive question to ask. And then I think even more importantly, if you look at that list of priorities, especially if you're feeling fatigue, stress, even burnout, look at that second list of priorities and ask the question, to what degree am I living life true to my priorities? Because most people will have fitness right up there but have not exercised for weeks or months. And most will have friends right up there on their list of priorities, but won't have made time to catch up with some old schoolmates from the yesteryear. I was lucky enough just on the weekend to catch up with three blokes I travelled around Europe with when I was 18. We bought a 1975 model Ford Laser, two-door Ford Fiesta, from the local rugby club in England for 400 pounds. And we went 6,000 miles around Europe over four, th- over four months with a tent, some sleeping mats, an esky and a five kilo barrel of red wine from the French wine district. Um, and that was about it. But just incredible to reconnect with some old friends that I haven't seen for over 10 years um, and reminisce on the fun we used to have as mates at school and afterwards. There's so much good in reconnecting with old friends and making new friends and community your priority. And so a healthy reflection to sit back and go, right, oh, well, what do I need to change to live life more true to my core values? And what do I need to change so that I can live life more true to my priorities? When I first started out as a business coach and I was running around having to sell this concept of business coaching to local small business owners, before sales meetings or negotiations and even before coaching calls, I'd have my core values in my folder and I'd have them behind the visor in my car and I'd sit and just really connect with them and then go into the meeting. And it just, it's a really healthy process to work through. But we've got to build out our core values and build out 
again, the top of that iceberg that's under the surface. So the third level down on this iceberg are our beliefs. And for me, this is where the rubber really starts to hit the road, that there are positive and negative beliefs that govern us as humans. And a lot of them we picked up as kids and we've left them unchecked. And so a belief and the best definition of what a belief is, and you might like to write this down, is something that I hold to be true. And so I'll give you my example. Growing up on our family farm, and it was a cracking farm. Dad was a great farmer. Um, Two workmen, Barry and Trev, were with us for 30 plus years each. Two older brothers in Simon and Jono. Lots of male dogs. And um, then there was mum who was a wonderful support. But it was a very masculine reality for a young bloke. And being the youngest, I was also the weakest, the dumbest, the most useless, the most clumsy, the slowest. And the list goes on. And that was my reality. Now, no no one necessarily told me that I was those things. But when I compared myself to my brothers and I compared myself to Barry and Trev, and I compared myself to the wool agent and the livestock agent and every other bloke that came onto the farm, I was the slowest, the weakest, the dumbest, the most useless, the most clumsy, and the list went on. And that was my reality growing up. I used to try really hard to keep up and do my best, but that was my psychology. And then I went from a school of 34 to boarding school down in Victoria to a school of well over 1,800. And if you think about it, a little bit chubby, braces, 12 years old, my iceberg was the size of a pea and quite undeveloped and thrown into a pretty challenging boarding school environment with that psychology. And so through school, that was my reality. Through uni, that, especially when the heat was on, that stayed as my reality. And then when I got into agribusiness and then corporate finance in Sydney at a young age, sitting in board meetings with the head of agribusiness and the head of pricing and other pretty capable characters. That was still my psychology. And I was actively negatively comparing myself to everyone else in the meeting. Now, the reason I raise this is that As a kid, I took on a whole set of beliefs that didn't serve me, that were limiting. And for much of my young student and then adult life, I left them unchecked and I didn't do the deeper work on them. And so I went through my early career 
absolutely, I'm not going to say crippled, but nearly, you know, I'm really challenged by low self-esteem, low self-confidence, and at times real anxiety, and at times very real depression. And so it wasn't until I kind of burned out in that corporate finance role, age about 24, that I thought, you know what? My GP's telling me that I've got depression and I should take pills, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and see a psychologist. And I met this lady. Her name was Francesca Gracie, and she changed my life. Some wonderful meetings. And she helped me understand how the mind works. And she helped me with these things called cognitive distortions that most of us have to varying degrees, cognitive distortions at play in our reality at any time. Now, cognitive distortions are just distorted thoughts. They're those beliefs that aren't serving us. So as I said before, there's positive and there's limiting beliefs. And so she got me to write down all the things that I was saying to myself about myself when I was by myself and under pressure. What were all the things that I'd say that weren't serving me? And I came up with an extensive list of things that I was saying about myself that were shaping my reality that weren't serving me. Such a healthy process to go through to get them out of our heads and onto paper. And then we sat together and she got me to look at them objectively and basically just asked the question, are these real? And so when I looked at them, I wasn't dumb, I wasn't slow, I wasn't weak, I wasn't clumsy, I wasn't useless. They were just things that I was telling myself about who I was that weren't serving me. And so with all of those thoughts that I now had written on paper, I sat down and grouped them together. There are nine types of distorted thoughts that we can have that sabotage our own self-esteem. And so there's negative comparison was huge for me. I was constantly negatively comparing myself to everyone in my reality. There was polarised thinking, which is... You do one thing badly, therefore you're bad at everything. There was globalisation, which is a little bit like catastrophizing so that if, if some, something small goes wrong, that you make it a bigger problem than perhaps it really is. And the list goes on. Mind reading was another one where um, when under pressure you think you can read other people's minds and know what they're thinking of you. I used to think absolutely I could read everyone's minds and what they were thinking of me 
wasn't very constructive. But when I realised that that wasn't real, it was so valuable. And so I grouped all these thoughts that I was having into buckets. And then we went through them and wrote some statements that I now realise are affirmations that helped me tell myself the opposite of those. And it was in doing that and then staying connected with and reading out and focusing on those affirmations regularly and for long enough that my psychology started to change, that my mindset started to improve. And I absolutely started to let go of some of those limiting beliefs that had been holding me back. And so I've thought often about writing a book and I'd call that book, Our Biggest Strength is Killing Us. Um, In Australia, you ask the average Aussie bloke what he's good at and he'll say, oh, I'm not bad on a barbie and I used to be able to kick the footy both feet from 50. You ask the average American bloke what he's good at, dinner would be over and they'd still be letting you know. I guess my point is, in Australia, we live in a really humble, kick-around culture, which I think is wonderful, but it can be a bit of a self-defeating culture. How are you going? Oh, not too bad. Thanks. What do you know? Not much. Whereas the Americans live in a really self-affirming culture. I'm not saying theirs is better than ours, but I'm just saying that if the culture or the environment that we're in is somewhat modest, humble and self-defeating, then, and this is my key point, rather than being our own harshest critic, which is what most of us are. Who is your harshest critic? It's you, right? So if I'm my own harshest critic, maybe what I need to be or become is my own biggest advocate. Because if the culture that we're in is self-defeating, then the psychology that we navigate life with has to be even more self-affirming. And so our mind, and this is something that I continue to learn about, is just a supercomputer. It gives you what you want. Or actually, sorry, I'll rephrase that. It gives you what you focus on. I don't know if you've ever been driving down the highway and you've just made a decision that you want to buy a dual-clad white Land Cruiser Ute then that is all you see on the highway. Or if you're thinking about you need to ring someone and then they ring. So the mind is that supercomputer. And when you can focus it on self-affirming statements and you can focus it on what you want rather than the other, what you don't want and self-defeating thoughts, then it will just go to work to help you make that happen and seek that out for you. 
there's part of the brain called the reticular activating system. And it's the thing that just gives you focus and, and get focuses your mind, waking and sleeping, conscious and unconscious, to seek out things that will help you get what you want. And I've used that example before, that if I go into a supermarket and I don't know what I want, how much white noise, how much information, how much confusion do I see? Kind of to the point of overwhelm. But if I'm really clear that I just want eggs and orange juice, how much information don't I see in that supermarket when I'm going about getting those two things that I want? So the reticular activating system is like your compass. It's the thing that filters out all that noise, all that information, and focuses in on helping you get what you want, the eggs and the orange juice. So if you've got strength around your core values and you're clear on your priorities and you understand the affirmations and you, you focus on those consistently and frequently, then everything can change in my experience and you're building out the iceberg under the surface. Now, the fourth layer and the deepest level of the iceberg is our identity. And that is who it is that I'm striving to become or who is it that I most want to be. And my coach tells me that the two most powerful words in the English dictionary are I am. And this links back to those affirmations that I mentioned. If you can come up with a set of statements that are supporting you that follow, I am, I am, I am. It can be a really compelling piece of work to do that helps you focus everything on living a better life, navigating those moments of adversity and building out your resilience iceberg so that you're more grounded and stronger when tough times hit. Now, if you've done the deeper work, as we've talked about around skills, values, priorities, beliefs, and our identity, then what plays out above the surface, our behaviour changes, the questions that we ask change, the decisions we make change, the actions we take improve, in my experience, and then the results we get can be different. And the results we get can actually be quite profound and even beyond our comprehension. And so I love this concept of building out our iceberg. Now, the last piece to this puzzle is the environment. And so if you've built out your iceberg, then no matter how rough the waters that that iceberg is subject to, it can withstand them and stay strong. So the more we work on these things under the surface, the more we're, we've set down the foundations to be able to handle tough environments should they arise. With that, though, we get to choose our environment. 
And so it's also worthwhile on this concept of the identity iceberg to think about the environment that we're putting ourselves in and what are the changes that we need to make to support that iceberg and land ourselves in a more constructive environment. I talked about that reunion the other day with mates, but a game of tennis once a week with some friends in town, a tidy office, um, maybe it is a meeting with a psychologist, maybe it is getting a coach, joining a strong community, maybe there are three or four small changes you can make to your days and your weeks and your environment. Maybe it is just getting up 45 minutes earlier, getting the heart rate up, going for a walk, um, writing a gratitude journal. These things that can support us and change our environment for the better. So just to go through these again, that again, what people see of us is just the tip of the iceberg. What's under the surface are our skills, our values, our priorities, our beliefs, positive and negative, and our identity, the person that we're striving to become. That iceberg is in an environment and we've got to make sure that we're nurturing and looking after the environment we're in and making positive changes to our environment so that the things that play out for us above the surface, our behaviour, our questions, our decisions, our actions, can be optimal and at their best. And if they are, then the results that we get can be beyond our comprehension. I want to make the point, guys, that this is true in farming as in anything. And our Platinum Mastermind and alumni members are proving this every day. That in farming, I get it that we can't control the weather and I get it that we can't always control the price that we receive. But we can control everything else, including the things that I've spoken about today. And so if any of you are feeling overwhelmed about your reality and you're feeling out of control, just check in on that because there is actually so much that we can control. There's really only a couple of things that are beyond our control in this game. And so just because you might have experienced anxiety navigated low self-esteem and even had depression, it doesn't make it your label for the future necessarily. Now, for some, it might be the case that you need that diagnosis and you need for that to be um, the managing of that to be your reality into the future, and I completely understand that. But for many of us, um, I've had those things but that's not who I am in the future. I love that concept of identity and that iceberg, that, that bottom bit that is identity. There's the identity of yesterday, there's the identity of today, and there's the identity of tomorrow. 
And again, if we leave it unchecked and we don't work on it, we can by default live by the identity of yesterday where we're playing out some significant challenges um, with the beliefs and the, the, the mindset of how we were when we were younger doesn't necessarily get us optimal results. We can also choose or not choose but live by the identity of today, which will probably keep us exactly where we are. And, again, for some of you that might be okay. Or we can choose to set down the identity of tomorrow and, and define that on paper, who it is we're striving to become, the affirmations that we need to see us live our best life, the goals and objectives that we're shooting for as individuals, and then try that on today in the pursuit of that for tomorrow. And so elite athletes sit and meditate and visualise how it's going to be to be on the podium with the feeling of winning an Olympic gold medal. And they do that at five o'clock before they get in the pool for their training. And they go about their training with the mindset of already being that Olympic athlete. So if we choose these things and we choose to try on the identity of tomorrow, it's just so important to visualise and meditate and get in the mindset of already being that person today in order to allow that to play out into your reality. These things, and I'll never forget when Andrew Roberts, my first business coach, taught me this over my first coaching session with him in his office 20 or 15 or 16 years ago now in Bondi Junction in Sydney. I was sitting there in my check shirt with my RMs on, you know, probably a bit closed-minded. But when he started opening me up to this concept called the identity iceberg, and I leant into it and linked it back to that um, experience I had with depression when I was 24, and I sharpened my affirmations and really set down my identity of who it was I was striving to become and got really clear on my core values and my priorities and then made a commitment and went to work on my skills, everything in my reality changed. And life's been pretty positive since. And so thanks for listening, guys, while I just reflect and explore this concept of resilience as I'm coming to know it. I hope you found it useful um, and especially those experiencing stress and pressure and overwhelm and burnout and even anxiety and depression. They're real things um, and the thoughts that we have in our minds and the beliefs that we hold, they're real things and they can be damaging. And so I hope this gives you a framework to do a bit of deeper work. I encourage you to go and buy a journal and get into this and work through this, even listen to it again and pause it at the appropriate time and do the activities. I've seen so many entrepreneurs um, and business owners 
apply this to their reality and have it deeply change their psychology and absolutely build out their resilience. Farm business ownership can be a really tough and challenging assignment. And given that, we've got to be doing the self-care work and the deeper work behind the scenes so we can turn up to our farms and our families at our best and on our A-game. I'm really looking forward over the next few podcasts to interviewing some pretty remarkable women in agriculture um, who are going to help us explore the psychology around resilience um, and a few other topics that can help us build on this and improve as leaders and um, as contributors in community. Guys, thanks for listening. I hope you're well. Um, look forward to your feedback and look forward to these next few sessions. Bye for now.